Today, we're going to discover the joy, the beauty, the profundity of a faithful and lifelong committed marriage. And who better to teach us than a man who had 700 wives? Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Reminder to like, subscribe, and comment. That helps us out and helps get the gospel out as well. Um, we're in an awesome book today. Very excited for this. Are you excited? Yeah. Oh, I'm very excited. Yes. Very popular book. Very uh, quotable book. Yes. 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 We'll, we'll get into that for okay. sure. Okay. So where um, are we in the Bible right now? We are... <clears throat> In the last book of the wisdom literature, so so wisdom literature are these books that t- teach us about wisdom. They're uh, poetic, typically, and um, we've seen very different types of of wisdom literature. Right, Job, which is the story about a man who endures so much suffering mm-hmm. from God, but it's pointing us to the source of wisdom and and the importance of divine revelation. Mm-hmm. Right, as God speaks and clarifies. Um, that his truth is what matters the most. Right. We don't get a lot of answers to questions in that book. We do see where wisdom comes from. Right. It's a very important book. And then we we will cover Psalms later, but Proverbs showed us some of the basic rules of life, mm-hmm. and Ecclesiastes showed us the exceptions to those rules, the fact that life is frustrating and, and empty and vain, it's fleeting, yeah. and that death is the answer to everything, right? Mm-hmm. That death will destroy everything that we try to build in this life. Right. But we saw that fearing God is the answer to that. Yeah, and you like see that God theme through all the wisdom literatures, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that fear of the Lord idea is, yeah. is very prevalent. Song of Solomon, though, is a completely different book. Yeah, it's very uh, strange. Yeah, it's, it's, it stands kind of alone from all those books, um, but it's written, <clears throat> as we said, by Solomon. Um, we'll look at that in, in a minute because there's different views on that, of course. But uh, Song of Solomon is a very interesting and very challenging book. Yeah. So what is it? What is this book? Well, it's we see at the beginning of Song of Solomon. It's actually the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. That's the opening words of the book. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon. So it's the Song of Songs. Mean it's it's the best of the best. The best like, of the like best. King of Kings or, or Lord like, of Lords or, or Tom Cruise and Top Gun. That being the best of the best of the best. Sir. Of the best Tom Cruise movies. Have you not seen Top Gun? I mean, I have. It's been a long time. My word. It's the best movie of all time. Okay. It's the best of the best of the best. I will. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> Speechless. Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah. So Song of Solomon is basically Top Gun. That's what I've gained from that. Um, it's a love poem between a man and a woman. Mm. Right. It's, it's a love poem that goes back and forth. So the traditional approach was to understand this as Solomon speaking to his bride. Do you know there's also a love story in the movie Top Gun? <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take you at your word on that one. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah. Skip that scene, by the way, if you're watching the movie. <laughs> so the, tr- the traditional approach is that Solomon's writing to his bride, and it's pretty clear why people get upset by that and, and reject that mm-hmm. notion. And the reason is because, is yeah, because Solomon had 700 wives <laughs> and 300 concubines. So. Mm-hmm. For him to be writing about his love and his faithfulness to one woman, very strange. Seems strange. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll put it that way. That that's so I, I understand why people would say that, and so people have different ideas as to who wrote this and how it goes down. And it, I'll admit it's very challenging to see, to understand exactly who's speaking when. Mm-hmm. So one possibility people have put forward is that this is a poem with three characters. So there's Solomon. He's trying to win over this Shulamite woman the female character in the book. 
He's trying to win her love, seduce her, whatever. And then there's a third character who's a shepherd, who's a humble man who wins her love. So Solomon pursues her, but she's not won over by Solomon. She's won over by her true love, this shepherd. Another approach that is understandable as well is that's just a collection of poems that have been put together by Solomon or that some of them were written by Solomon and then compiled by a later author. Hmm. That would solve a lot of problems as well. Good. Now, personally, I would just land on Solomon being the author and, and the protagonist of the book. So right. he, he's written it, and it's a story about him and his his wife. Um, but you know, obviously, that is a big problem. A Thousand Women is a big problem for a book like this. So there's a couple possibilities, right? One is that he came back to God later in his life, and so he's reflecting back on his first love. Mm-hmm. That's one possibility. It's a story of redemption, repentance, that sort of thing. It's kind of hard to see that in the book. I don't really see that, but it's possible. Right. Another uh, another idea would be that he wrote this early in life. So he wrote this before he became a polygamist. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a letter to his, or a poem to his uh, first love right. when they were married early on in his, his reign. Could make sense. So hard, hard to know. I, like I said, these the Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon are challenging for that reason. Mm-hmm. But we're going to try to take take one path and stick to it. So I, what I'm saying is, I'm arguing is that this is Solomon with his bride. Okay, and it's and it's uh, extolling the virtue of monogamy of being married right. to one woman and, and true love. Right. So that's uh, anyway. So that that's how I would take it. Now, what's the point of this book? Yeah, well, and also like. It seems so different than anything we've read so far, and it's like, how does this fit in the narrative of Scripture, too? Yeah, I mean, this this is a book that praises the beauty and importance of love, right? Right. It, it points to the value of romantic love, but love itself, as we all know in the Christian life, is so vital. Right. It's the center of the Christian life. It's how we worship God by mm-hmm. loving Him and how we treat others yep. in love. And so, married love, romantic love, is the pinnacle of the love we have for another human. Mm. Um, so this is this is very important. Now, we can take this too far. So this is a book about marriage love. We can take it too far in that we can you know, teach this book, and I've heard this before, as if it's sort of a romantic manual, mm. right? So it's a, here's how you can win your, your wife over or here's how you can win your husband over. Those are, those are fine things, but I don't think that's really how we should think of this book. Mm-hmm. Now we'll look at a few practical things in this book. I, I do think that's there. Some people, in other cases, have it's kind of treated even more crass. It's like a sex manual for right. Christians, and I think that's totally the wrong way to view this. Right? You, you view every sort of metaphor as something sexual, and you pervert what the book is about. Right? Clearly, there. I mean, there are sexual elements to this book. I right. can't deny that, as we'll talk about. But, um, but really, what we have to do with this book is be grounded in the story of Scripture. Mm-hmm. We have to look at the entire scope of Scripture and say, how does this fit in? So as we've been reading through the Bible, we want to think about those themes. Um, Because while this book is about married love, it brings out themes in Scripture that are very important, that are much greater even than that. And it connects, really, marriage to the greater themes of Scripture. Mm -hmm. It's not isolated. Now, remember where the Scripture starts, where the story of Scripture starts. It starts with God creating the world and God placing Adam and Eve the first married couple in a garden, right? He officiates the first wedding yep. and he places them in a garden, a garden that's very important in the Garden of Eden. So that location is super important because as we'll read through this book, you will notice lots of garden imagery. Mm-hmm. Look at look at chapter two. I'm going to point out a few things about this book so, and then we'll kind of walk through it in order. But chapter two, verse three, 
She says, as an apple among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Uh, verse five, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples. Um, verse, you know, let's see, verse uh, 12, right? The flowers appear on the earth, time of singing has come. Verse 13, the fig tree ripens its figs, the vines are in blossom. Over and over again, there is, we could just go through the whole book and point out all of the garden imagery. Right. And that's very intentional. That's yeah. very intentional because this is meant to point us that to the, the reality that marriage in its truest sense is a pointer back to the garden. Right. It's a pointer back to the garden and back to the joy God gave us yeah, in the garden. Relationships, male and female, you know, creation imagery, the creation order. Like it's all like you see it kind of behind the story. Right? That's right. Absolutely. And don't forget, you know, not just where scripture came from, where it started, but where it's headed. Mm-hmm. Scripture is headed to the ultimate consummation of all things in the wedding feast of the Lamb. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Marriage isn't even, marriage isn't a worldly concept. It's a, you know, divine concept, right? Yeah. So God gives to us a image on this earth of his eternal, unbreakable love for us. Yeah. That's what we get to live out in this earth in our own imperfect ways. Mm-hmm. So that's what life is heading toward, and it's re- heading to a return to the garden as well. Right. That final picture is one of, you know, heaven and earth coming together, a city being there, but it's a city that's also a garden. No, I've heard also like, like some. I feel I think it's a Jewish perspective on this book that it it's literally just a relationship between Israel and God. What do you think about that? Yeah, and there's also yeah, the Christian version of that, which would be it's about Christ and the church. Right. Um, I think you have to take it for what it says. So I, I think if it was intended to be just a metaphor, then it would be it would be more clear that it's intended to be a metaphor. Right. Yeah. Right. The whole book uh, being one big allegory is, right. is really not clear. It seems to be about a man and woman who are in love. Right. So we take it as that. Now I th- I do think that there is deeper meaning behind this passage, or that this connects us to bigger themes in Scripture. So I'm right. not saying that this is. I mean, I think he Solomon wrote a love poem to his wife for our benefit. Yeah, the, yeah. there's no doubt that a book could have other implications, but the purpose of its writing and the actual first intent of it is different. Yes, yeah, yeah we're looking and trying to say, what is this actually saying? What is intended without just making everything into a metaphor right. in okay. scripture? Unless it actually is intended to be that way. So For sure. Yeah, so that's that's what we're looking at. So, um, so that's the big th- scope of scripture, mm-hmm. right? This is a, on a small level, a story about a, a man and a woman and their love for each other, but it also will connect us to the broader themes of Scripture. And I think that really shows us how our own marriage relationships do the same thing. Right. And of course, we'll look at the New Testament, and it'll make that more explicit. But the love we have for our wives or wives, the love you have for your husband, that is a picture of the greatest kind of love, mm-hmm. right? So, And that the whole story of Scripture is wrapped up in that kind of imagery. So... One interesting note is that this book is the other book in Scripture with Esther that doesn't mention God by name. Mm-hmm. So God is there. He's kind of behind the scenes, but he's not mentioned explicitly. So, But we see God's hand in all of this. God's the one who's blessing and bringing two people together, and he's the one who empowers us to love each other. Mm-hmm. So, so um, now a few other things to watch for in this book as we're reading. First of all, dialogue is the main feature in the book. So the bulk of the book is about is conversation back and forth, right? So it'll be one person's sort of you know script and another person's script. Almost almost reads like a play. That's kind of how it's probably laid out in your Bible. You'll say um, the bride, the groom, whatever, or he or she. So there'll be these headings that are added in that clue us into who's speaking, and it's and it's 
the way they know who's speaking is because of the form of the verbs. So when a when a person is using female verbs, that's he's speaking to a female. So it's him, mm-hmm. right? It's it's love story. So that's kind of how we know that. Um, now, so so dialogue is really important in this book. Understand that. Also, there are weird descriptions everywhere in this book. Yeah, they're just weird like metaphors and things. So um, I'd love to hear some of your favorites from my the favorites? book. Yeah, I mean oh. one of one of my favorites is in the first chapter, chapter one, verse nine. Um, husbands, try this with your wife. You know, uh, young men, try this with your girlfriend, right? I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. <laughs> Babe, you are, you look just like a horse. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Um, Doesn't land as well today, I guess. Maybe it really worked back no, then. I mean, I've, I've seen, I have seen some lists of pickup lines arranged from this book. Oh. Um, yeah. That's pretty great. I mean, I think my most quoted um, verse from this is definitely um, 7-7. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. I'll climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. That is, um, that's a bold move. Yeah, that's a bold pickup line for your lady. I, I, but, you know, husbands, you For my miss, wife, of course. Yes, yeah, so of course, for your yeah. wife. Husbands, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, so you might as well try that one. <laughs> Today, um, yeah, it's a little little different than what we would. I, I like uh, her words to him in verse chapter five, verse fourteen. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with mm. sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. Yeah, so he's he's pretty chiseled, apparently. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> he's fit. Here's here's a real one. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Your eyes are doves. That's a good one. That's a good one, actually. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Yeah. Now, the, my last one, the last one I have I think is really great, is uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes <laughs> that have come up from their washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. <laughs> it's your, your teeth are like sheep, and everyone has its pair. In other words, babe, you, don't have, you have no missing teeth. Amazing. So... <laughs> Mm. So many, all the teeth. That's, <laughs> yeah. So there's, uh, <clears throat> as you're reading this, of course we can enjoy this and and you know kind of laugh at some of these things. We can we can have fun with it. But there's just a cultural gap here, right? Right. And so we'll we'll take some principles from this. But these metaphors obviously shouldn't be taken literally. They're clearly metaphors. Right. When he's saying your your teeth are like sh- sh- lambs or sheep, whatever. Um, but just understand that and don't get too wrapped up in the, all the specifics. But I think a lot of them, if you dig into them, I think that the meaning is pretty awesome. But, yeah. but anyway, there's a, so that's, a, that's something that's common throughout the book. There's also a theme of sexual purity. Mm-hmm. So as there's this love relationship, the, the author wants us to, and the speakers in the, in the story, want us to know the importance of sexual purity. Right. So they're going to emphasize this again and again and again. It's at the very beginning, chapter 2, verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So don't don't awaken this love, this sexual desire. Don't dabble with these things until the time is right. Right until right. you know that's that's part of wisdom, the right timing. We saw that Ecclesiastes, right? There's a season for everything. So wait until the right time before you enter into that stage of life and and guard your purity. Mm-hmm. 
And that guarding of purity doesn't stop with marriage. It continues into marriage. Right. Right. It looks different, obviously, because you consummate the marriage. You are intimate with your spouse, but you still guard purity and you you guard any sort of outside contamination of that relationship. Yeah. So that that's a big theme. You know, sexual purity is so important. And I think we see this throughout the book because it's it raises up, it lifts up the value of sex, right? It actually shows that it's valuable. When you when you will have sex with anybody or, you know, any relationship you're in, it shows that it's not valuable. I remember talking with a guy, I didn't ask you about using this, uh, this illustration. So here we go. Um, but I was talking to this guy at the beach a couple of years back mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it was dog beach and <clears throat> he was from out of the area, but he was very Santa Cruz, like very much had that, that vibe. And he was talking, we were, we were talking and I started to share the gospel with him. My door came open and, Started to share with him, and he was like, "Ah, oh, no, I can't do Christianity because of all that, you know. Like, you got what you guys think about sex? Like, it's backward, whatever, you know." And I was asking him why he thinks that, right? And he says, "Yeah, you should be free. You know, you should, you know, should enjoy sex. Like, don't make a big deal of it, all that stuff." And so I was trying to explain to him that the reason why why we have rules in Christianity about sex is because we value it more highly than people that don't. And so he was a musician, so I used the illustration of imagine you have a, uh, you know, a beautiful, you know, multi-thousand-dollar guitar signed by your favorite musician, and, and it's so valuable and so precious that you put it in a case, you protect it, you, you guard it, and then when the time is right and when it's safe, you take it out and you play the guitar, right? right. And it makes incredible music and you enjoy it, but you're not going to let your two-year-old mess with that you're not going to let your dog get near it you're you're going to protect that and and his response was pretty funny he's like no i see sex is more of like i don't know like a volleyball like let's just take it out and play with it and no big deal and i'm like uh. <laughs> and then he was point. like he's like i kissed a 60 year old dude last week that was I'm like what are you talking about yeah it was just it was this idea of like it doesn't matter at all it was so weird right it was, and and but it's so normal as well i should say that it's so normal in our culture but to say Oh yeah, like try things out, like see what you you enjoy, mm-hmm. no big deal. And all that's doing, according to this book, is just diminishing the value. If you value something, you will guard it and only use it for a specific purpose. Right. Otherwise, it will get tarnished and destroyed. Right. So that's what this book is about. Um, so you you guard things, you keep them under lock and key, in order that they can be enjoyed fully. Right. And that's what that's what marriage should be all about. So. <clears throat> And then, again, like I said, you don't stop protecting purity inside of marriage. You protect it and you guard it. And we see that as well, the, the importance of guarding and caring for and tending well your marriage. Um, we see this in chapter 2, verse 15. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So catch the fox. So don't let things run loose and destroy your marriage. Guard, guard your marriage um, take those things captive and this is a big theme in proverbs as well right this idea of sexual purity and guarding your marriage Mm -hmm. and caring for your marriage right not letting your stream flow into the streets right you 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 keep that pure that water pure if you let it flow into the streets it becomes muddy and drink from polluted cistern yeah exactly so i love i love what paul house said about this he said the book of song of solomon offers an ecstatic freedom for which Proverbs provides appropriate boundaries. Mm. So we see some of the boundaries in Song of Solomon, but mostly it's about, you know, pleasure, enjoyment, like, you know, passion. 
but we see in Proverbs and a few hints in, in uh, Song of Solomon of that there need to be boundaries for that freedom mm-hmm. in order to protect it, to keep it whole. Right. So protect love so you can enjoy love. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, structure of the book. Yeah, so I, it's kind of, it's a little bit challenging to do a structure. So the best I could do, and I did actually get some of this from Paul House's book on the Old Testament, but um, kind of the rough breakdown, I, I kind of adjusted it quite a bit, but <laughs> chapter one, verse one, to chapter two, verse seven, I, I would call this the dating phase, right? This is like nice. pre-marriage, <laughs> so this is dating. So this is like their first love. Chapter two, verse eight, to chapter three, verse five, is their engagement so it's they're preparing for the wedding. And then chapter 3, verse 6 to chapter 5, verse 1 is the wedding. Mm-hmm. So this is that, that passionate time of love and consummation of the marriage. Chapter 5, verse 2 to chapter 6, verse 3 is conflict and pursuit. So a fight enters the marriage and they have to there has to be pursuit in order to restore relationship. Mm-hmm. And then chapter 6, verse 4 to 8, verse 7 is enjoyment and praise. So we're seeing the marriage come back together. And then the very end of the book, chapter 8, 8 to 14, is advice. So we see some final advice given to um, those, you know, the couple giving to others is kind right. of the idea. So, so that's, that's the structure. So we see the progression of their relationship and, uh, and it's final. Okay, what does this mean for us? Yeah. So that's, that's where we're in the book. Awesome. Well, let's, let's go through it and we'll talk more about this uh, great book. All right. So, so first we see this section on uh, on dating, right? So, uh, chapter one, verse one to two seven. So that's, you're allowed to kiss during dating. Yeah, apparently. apparently. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's be real though. Back then they they would kiss for greeting. So <laughs> this is like Italy or something where they're just macking on each other all the time. Um, not great for COVID spread, but um, true. So this is this is you know the the intro to their their relationship. This is the passionate phase. Right. Um, now, mentions of premarital romance are extremely rare in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading, I think it was Longman and Diller were talking about this, but the only places where those, those you know, premarital romances mentioned in the Scripture are, are essentially Genesis, mm-hmm. where we see this with Jacob and you know, Rachel and Leah, and we see it with Isaac and Rebecca, that kind of courtship phase, that initial pursuit of a relationship. So it's very interesting. So we see some of this love and this passion, but this passion they have has to actually be solidified into commitment. Mm -hmm. So we see the engagement phase, and then we see the wedding in chapter 3, verse 6. So we see what is that coming up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant, behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel. Mm-hmm. So he's so this is the the wedding procession, right? And so we're seeing that passionate love from the first couple chapters being built upon, right. and and commitment is added to that. So so the marriage brings commitment, and commitment is added to strengthen and fortify mm-hmm. the romantic love. So we see we see you know the 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 <clears throat> the groom admiring his bride in chapter four, and um, just there's one thing I, to point out here. I love verse seven, chapter four, verse seven. You are all, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. I love that because with all of the with all of the you know uh, poetic and you know metaphorical stuff that maybe feels a little overwhelming for us sometimes, I just love that heart behind it. Like he's speaking to his bride and saying. Everything about you is beautiful. There's no flaw in you. Mm-hmm. 
And that's, that's the job of a spouse, right? This is your job as a spouse to look at your spouse and to say, there's no flaw in you. You're perfect, mm-hmm. right? Um, I often tell my wife this, right? Like, she'll be like, oh, whatever, you know, whatever women complain about their looks, you know? Um, and it's like, no, you are perfect, right? I am always right, and I see <laughs> things accurately, and you are perfect, right? And that, that should be the perspective of a spouse is that you're, you view your spouse through the lens of love, and so you speak a truth to them that is greater than their perception or what the world might say about an aspect of how they look, right? right. It's how you see them and how you view them. Right. And and that's I think it's a beautiful thing, man. I love that. That's no, awesome. I mean, and it's a huge part of the what's actually important in a relationship is how you view each other, not how everyone else views you, you know? Yeah. So protecting that is, I think, in your own mind and, you know, for your own actions is important. Yeah. yeah. And obviously being very, you know, very careful of being critical of your spouse and yeah. those things. Like you have to... You have to speak words of life and encouragement and love. And so I do love that as the central idea of this praise he's giving is that he sees his his spouse through the lens of love. Um, chapter chapter five, we see at the end, we see, you know, he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. That's a bad combo, wine and milk. <laughs> Just going to say that. But then there's a response the, of the it says others in, in my translation eat friends drink and be drunk with love. Some people suggest this is actually God speaking at the end here that God is blessing the marriage, just as He did in Genesis chapter two, mm-hmm. right? Is speaking words of light to them and saying enjoy, enjoy love, right? God, I mean God gave us, God made uh, us humans in a way where we can enjoy love and therefore right. we should, especially in its proper context. So, so that's some of the stuff we see at, at the first half of the book. And, and we see this, obviously, you know, this gets a little bit, maybe a little bit racy for us or a little more racy than we would think in Scripture. But I, it, for me, it kind of reminds me of Genesis 2.25, right? The very end of Genesis 2, which says, the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was the, the garden picture of marriage was that two people, right, man and woman, could be together and be vulnerable, be exposed, and be unashamed and, right. and just to light in each other. And that's, that is something that we have in marriage, right? right. And so we see you know, hints of this or pictures of this in this passage is that they're consummating this marriage, and that's a picture of a return to Eden. You know, actually, C.S. Lewis, this was a kind of a big theme in his writings as well. This this uh, return to Eden and the the beauty of male and female working together, right, and fitting together perfectly in the marriage picture, right. and, and, I, and I love that. You read uh, the, that hideous strength. He talks about that oh, yeah. at the end. It's pretty cool. So then we have the some conflict in the marriage. Chapter five, verse two. We see some conflict enter into the marriage, um, and then a pursuit, right? So essentially, there's you know something has happened where. So one of them gets rejected. Right? It's in verse two. Um, the husband is saying, "Open to me, my my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one." And uh, then verse three, she basically says, "I don't want to get my feet dirty, so I'm not gonna." <laughs> so, so guys are very familiar with this experience, right? <laughs> I'll just I'll just put it that way. Um, but there's you know disagreement, division in marriage, and so what happens is the wife then pursues her husband. So the husband's pursued his wife. He got rejected. The wife then pursues her husband. So there's disagreement. There's division in marriage. This will always happen. There's always going to be hardship in, in marriage, but pursuing each other, coming back together in love, 
renewing those vows over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. renewing that covenant you made. And that's what we do um, in the marriage bed, right? We come back together and we reiterate our love for each other. And so there's a desire here to keep that love, that passion, uh, continually making that new. Mm -hmm. And obviously as you enter into marriage and and things change, that will that will transform a little bit, but to always come back to that value of loving each other and being together right. is so important. So, and then we see in chapter six, we see that enjoyment and praise of each other. So we've seen conflict and pursuit and then enjoyment and praise. And this is sort of the last major section of the book. They're praising each other. And like when we could go through some of the specifics, but, uh, but the big idea here, I think, is that praise is so important. So we praise each other in marriage because that's such an important part of our enjoyment of each other. Mm-hmm. Of course, we could die, tr- draw connections to worship of God and the fact we praise God. It's obviously different, but the same general principles do apply in the sense of you enjoy something by praising it. Right. Um, and I, I, I thought of this quote from C.S. Lewis, which is so helpful in terms of praise and why we praise things. He says, he says, uh, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or of anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Mm-hmm. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Mm-hmm. It is its appointed consummation. Right. So as two people in love are are looking at each other, they delight to praise each other because you have to, right? If you really in, enjoy and love someone, you have to express how great they are, how yeah. valuable they are. And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely feel that way about my spouse, right? My wife, Laura. I mean, I have to praise her. I have to say how how amazing she is how much i'm amazed at the way she takes care of our kids and takes care of me and how beautiful she is all those things right that's such an important part of our marriage and so we we can't ever let that diminish so uh, i love that expression of praise to to each other and then the 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 end of that section is one of the key phrases in the book Um, so chapter eight verse six this is kind of yeah, a really powerful, amazing um, couple verses here. Chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flash, Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So, I mean, there's a lot here, but this idea of a seal, a seal is something that binds together, that fixes something to something else. And so, so, you know, at the end, she's saying, seal me upon your heart, mm-hmm. right? Your heart being the center of who you are, your inner self, your, your will, your mind, your emotions. That's kind of the idea in the Hebrew. It's more than just, just feelings. It's set me, uh, bind me to you, Right. And it says, for love is strong as death. Love is strong as death. So there's a power to love. There's a commitment, right? You're being sealed, and there's a power to it as well. Love by itself is incredibly powerful. It's one of the most powerful things in this world. Right. I again, I don't mean this in like a hippie way of like the power of love. I mean, 
look at life and death can come from love, right? Mm-hmm. Either rightly or wrongly applied. Um, love and this and sexual romantic love can create a life. <laughs> like when I when I see our kids, I'm sure you think the same thing sometimes, but I see our kids. I'm like, these kids came out of our relationship, right? Our love overflowed into the the bringing of new life. That's amazing. Yeah. But it can also bring death. It can also bring death in in you know, if you have sex outside of marriage, it could lead to abortion. It could lead to um, you know, a, a child being born out of wedlock and all the disadvantages they might have. Not to say that's death per se, but it's a powerful thing that can create harm for for people's lives. Um, I mean, you can go down the list, right, of the ways that that sexual love uh, or sexual desire can be can be misused. Right. It's one of the great worst things you can do is, is to sexually abuse somebody. Um, so this is a strong thing. So we have to treat it with care and with respect. Yeah. So, and the, the greatest joys and the greatest sorrows that you will experience in your life will most likely come in your marriage, in your family, in the, mm-hmm. in the relationships of, with people that you love the most. Yeah. That's where the greatest hurts will come, but also the greatest life will be given. So it's important that we guard that carefully. So we come full circle to the idea of guarding and protecting marriage. And then we end with some advice. So the very end of the book, this little end cap here is just some advice. Verse eight. We have a little sister and she has no breasts. And what shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. So the fi- final advice you've been given here is, you know, pr- protect and guard your purity, right? Are you, are you a wall or a door, mm-hmm. right? Are you a wall, you're... you're you understand how to protect and guard that purity. If so, that's an honorable thing, right? We're going to build a battlement of silver. But if if you're a door, you enclose yourself with boards of cedar, right? If you're a door, meaning that you're uh, easy, loose, whatever you want to say, um, then you have to be you have to guard that carefully, protect that purity, put yourself in the right mindset, and understand how precious this is. And then the very end of the book is this call to enter into love. Verse 13, uh, he speaks, Oh, you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. And then she responds, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. So she calls him to enter into love, and it leaves us hanging at the end. Mm-hmm. right? And there's this invitation into marital love and the continuation of that love. And that's how the book ends. So it's very, it's very poetic. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Also a very strange book, but... That, that picture of the importance of marriage love is so powerful. Yeah. How does gospel connect with it? Well, I mean, th- we see that throughout the Bible, this, this, meta- this, this, this marriage metaphor ties into our relationship with God. So very often, God is spoken, as we already mentioned, his relationship with us is spoken of in terms of a marriage. Mm-hmm. So we'll see that more in Hosea and Ezekiel, that sin is the breaking of the marriage covenant. It's adultery. Right. So that that's one way in a negative sense. Um, sin is unfaithfulness to God. Um, but also we can see a connection to Jesus Christ. It's very easy to see a connection to Jesus Christ because Jesus is the groom who came to rescue his bride. Right. And the, this picture of the wedding feast is prominent in Jesus' own words. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's actually at the end of the Bible as well, like, like we mentioned. So this points us to the final consummation of all things. Right. And of course, one very, you, you couldn't talk about this book without speaking of Ephesians chapter five. Yeah. Right. Ephesians five is such a, a crucial passage 
when we come to speaking about marriage. And, uh, and this is what it says. So in speaking about wives and husbands, it says, uh, Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the way that we love our wives, husbands, is to sacrifice for her. And the metaphor he uses is of Christ and his church, mm-hmm. which is very appropriate, right? Because that's the kind of relationship that Christ and the church has. Christ gives himself for her, sacrifices himself for her in order to marry her. And then he goes on to say, in the, you know, says, therefore a man, so he quotes from Genesis chapter two, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. So he quotes from the original marriage scripture and it says, this is a mystery, but I'm going to solve it for you. It's about Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the original marriage, we look at Song of Solomon, stories that were about actual marriages, what he's saying is those should all be understood, ultimately speaking, in light of the love that Christ has for his church. Yeah, amen. That Christ wins us over and redeems us, right, and washes us, forgives us in order that we can be his. And so our marriage should reflect the same kind of love to the best of our ability, right, by the power of the Spirit. We should love our spouse in a way that reflects that kind of love. We should forgive them. We should um, g- give to them, right? Sacrifice for them yeah. in order to wash them with the word, to to see them become who God has made them to be. Our, our marriage, our marriages are powerful things, and so we should steward them very, very carefully. Yeah, Amen. Well, that's all we got for uh, the book of uh, Song of Solomon, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Are we going to start Isaiah next week? Yeah, we are. Awesome. It's going to be great. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, and we'll see you soon.